The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Thank you. That sounded like a successful house hunting. I have found somewhere to rest my weary head, yes. Uh, I'll come back later for a cup of tea, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mary. If you need any help just moving, just ask. Falling knives, runaway wives. Don't try to catch them. Hello and welcome to... Oh, hello. Hello, hello. You're fine. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that doesn't think that a hospital ward is the appropriate genesis of a new life, so maybe leave your suitcase at home. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I am a purveyor of fine creepy dolls. You have far too many creepy dolls in this house. <laughs> it's like living in... <laughs> What was it? The child's play. Child's play. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I don't do clowns, though. No clowns. I promise. I will never bring a clown into this house. Well, you've brought clown paintings into this house. No, I haven't. Yes, you have. No. I'm sure you have. Not one. I've threatened to buy you oh, a fitted okay. clown yes. paint by number for Christmas and hang it right over your bed. No. And to be fair, the creepiest dolls I gave one away, and the and the other two I I mailed to a buyer today. So, but I like to like stick them in your face. I don't like that. I don't don't like that at all. Oh, I have those broken eye dolls still in the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they travel with me wherever I go. They're my good luck charm. My broken eye dolls. My broken doll eyes. Help. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? Vintage toys sell. How was your week? Good. Good. You know, it seems like we're finally getting into the school year groove. The The first week was just so hard and difficult. It helped. Labor Day helped. It helped to have a day to rest and and catch up and do fun stuff like Sanding down vintage furniture. <laughs> I have weird ideas of how to spend my free time. Yeah, fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is fun. I wish I wish fewer people would spray paint good, high quality, mid-century modern furniture or chalk paint them. Although spray paint is harder to get off. But that's a soapbox for another time, I think. At least Gary doesn't do that. He may kill people, but at least he doesn't chalk paint these fine vintage Chesterfields a bright pink and and put rope for handles and other tacky things I see on Facebook Marketplace all the time. See, I tied it back into Corey. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I quite fell asleep there. Oh. I'm, I'm not feeling that great. Yeah, both of our sinuses have just been very wonky. It's that time of year where if you have seasonal allergies, you're having some problems. We've both been awful stuffy and fighting over the Claritin and all that fun stuff. Yeah, the changes of seasons hasn't been... Kind. Hasn't been great for us this year, no. I don't think. Oh. So I was kind of hoping to do this, make this a tomorrow morning podcast, but nope. Let's nope. power through and... <laughs> nope, because even if we do it Jesus in the morning, Christ. you'll still call it nighttime. So you'll be editing it in the morning. So it will be slightly later. Ah, do you know what I got? An hour's worth of kip and I feel oh, a, a little bit up. better. And you could maybe I'll, I'll, I'm, I may just power through and just get this thing done. Anyway. Excellent. Shall we a preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Ooh. Corey News. <laughs> Former Quarry star Catherine Tildley insists in an interview this week that she and her husband will not fall prey to the Strictly curse, which means she's not going to fall in love with her co-star on Strictly Come Dancing. Well, this is something that she says before the show starts. Before so. she's even been appointed. Right. She doesn't even know who her dancing partner is going to be. But I, I, she well. says her three-year marriage is strong. <laughs> And also that her wee son, Alfie, who's four years old, is very excited to see his mummy go dance. And they've even gotten him like the, a little sequined bow tie to wear on the show. Isn't that cute? I'm not sure how we're going to watch uh, Strictly this year. I watched it on... Oh, how did I watch it last year? I Illegally. watched it on something. Yeah, it's, it's definitely <laughs> legally. But I can't remember the exact illegal means of it. Right, yeah, because it's not like... It's not like Bake Off that doesn't really have a American equivalent, so it's easy to get Bake Off, although here it's called the Great British Baking Show because Pillsbury owns the term Bake Off here in this country. Oh, which really? Is stupid. Oh. Hmm. Come on, Pillsbury, share. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. It, it, so it's hard to get. It's hard to get Strictly. It's hard to get the British... Um, Britain's Got Talent and X Factor oh, I don't care and all about that, that stuff. I know you don't care about those. I don't either. I'm just saying hmm. that because we have an equivalent, it's harder to get those shows. I'm not sure how I got it last year because I remember watching it. Yeah, you did. YouTube? Oh, no. I think it's because I had the whole... Tunnel Bear? No. Uh, I had the whole Hulu thing. Hola. Oh, hola. 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 I think I had hola. 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 And hola doesn't work anymore. Although, Boo. Neither or, does Tunnel Bear. Or Ola wants me to pay 10 bucks a month to make it work for BBC, which I don't really care that yeah, much Yeah, can't really be arsed. There's plenty of other things to watch. And neither one of us really have much time for television uh, it'll besides be on, Corey. It'll be on Daily Motion. I do like a little bit of Strictly, though. Do, do you watch uh, uh, Celebrity Dance? show here in america oh good god no i don't know who anybody is well you know bruno because bruno's on both which just to me is just insane len used to be in them, on them he both. goes back and forth and he back gave and up. forth and does his big thing with his hands and makes sexual double entendres all over the place mm-hmm. and it's just 
the campiest human being in the world. Are you fucking eating these things as well? What, the Tootsie Rolls? I I, I hate these things. The, the, <laughs> these wrappers are everywhere in this house. This needs to stop. And it's mostly my fault. There was a... Yeah, there was a little... Yeah, those, are, those were mine. Yeah, because I, I blame Benny for it, and it's you. <laughs> it is me. I blame their grandfather, who keeps sending them candy and and junk which i end up eating because i'm the one who's here in the house all day by myself well, well, well here's a thought don't fucking eat them <laughs> there you go easier said than done mm. they're no thirsty. no because i don't eat them and, and that, you don't like sweets that noise is not that's not pleasant <laughs> mm. i will stop eating them for the rest of the show <laughs> now I have to pick those up. You suck. I, I hate them. Please. <laughs> this needs, um, this, this needs to stop. All right. For the rest of the Corey News, now, ITV has announced that they will be having a one hour special Corey at Christmas. A one hour special entitled Corey at Christmas during the Christmas season. You're giving me this weird look like you don't understand. Why? Which will feature clips of Christmas's past, as well as interviews with current and past cast members. So just like a Christmas special. It'll be fun. Yeah. Okay. We can see what Rita looked like 30 years ago. Okay. I mean, we already know, but, you know, it'll be fun. Finally, thanks to the 16th UEFA European Championship... Coronation Street schedule will change starting on the 13th of this month with an hour-long episode. And that's Corey News. Oh. What? Corey News was better last week, I think. Oh, go fuck off. <laughs> oh, this is the third podcast this week that we we're putting out. I know. It's exciting. Because Sally's I- back, so we have... Uh, Spongebob Squarecast, which is our most popular podcast to date, <laughs> which makes me feel great because it's the one I'm not on, that which was, is fine. That, that went out this morning. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. That's a good one. I, yeah. I loved her her attempt at singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, less so. And then on Wednesday, we had our, our, our vegetables episode of Common Language. Common Language, out. yeah. So this is... Uh, this is too many podcasts. Benny is better at Bohemian Rhapsody. Because we have this thing where, you know, just randomly during the day, he'll sing, Mama, and I'll sing, Ooh, to one another. It's cute. I love my kids. I was asleep uh, 20 minutes ago. Less than that. No? <laughs> 10 minutes ago. No, 10 minutes ago was 8.05. I was awake. Oh, okay. Our mailbag... Our lack of mailbag last week seems to have spurred some of our oh, exciting. correspondence into action. And we have stuff in our mailbag. Chloe from Nova Scotia. She writes to say, I've been listening to the podcast for a while now and I've always been confused when Gav says, our first story tonight is also our last story tonight. So our second <laughs> story tonight is whatever. What does that mean? It is confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure if I've explained this before, have I? No, Probably see, not. the way that we do it is that the the way that we talk about the different stories for the week 
is that the very first story that they start the week out with will be our very first story and will end on the last story of the week. And sometimes they're the same story. So that's basically what you're saying is that our first story of the week is our last story of the week. And because it tends to be like a really big, like the main storyline of the week, we like to save that for last. So then we'll go on to the second story of the week, which is whatever storyline comes second on Monday after the first one. Clear as mud. <laughs> Does that clear it up? I think so. I hope so. If it doesn't, please let us know and we'll attempt to explain it again next week. Yeah, I, I number the storylines as they start to happen on a Monday. Right. So storyline number one on a Monday is always storyline number one. And that is how we will start the week. Absolutely. Unless... That storyline is how we also end the, end week. the week. In which case, I'll jump to the, the second, second storyline. Story. Yes, which is what I just said. I, I think I'm not sure that clears up, but. <laughs> but that's what it means. John got in touch. It's John's birthday this week. Oh, happy birthday, Mister Giovanni! Happy birthday, John! Our favorite, our favorite British Italian person. Oh, it's Scottish Italian. Well, Scotland. Scottish people are British people. I think you prefer for the moment. Knowing all John, Scottish, all Scottish people prefer to be Scottish, but also all Scottish people are British people. And if you don't include them, if you if you say that an English, you know, that just England is Great Britain, or only English people are British, then Scottish people get offended. I don't know why you're pissing on John's birthday like this, but. <laughs> <laughs> but John agrees that it was a bit of a nippy week last week And to make up for that though He liked our tangent discussion about band names He knew about Steely Dan And there's some others that he thinks that we might uh, be interested in Such as the Pet Shop Boys, Joy Division, Pearl Jam and 10CC mm-hmm. And John also liked Mary's reference to Roma Which was John's favourite film of last year. Which we still haven't seen. I still haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. All we have to do is turn it on, but we still haven't seen it. So the Pet Shop Boys, do you know how they got their name? That's, uh, that's a, um, is it, is it like a, a, a gay nightclub or something in, in London or something? No, it's a little bit, (laughs) it's a little tougher than that. Oh, what is it? There's a rumour. That the Pet Shop Boys themselves very much deny uh-huh. that the name came from a slang for a, a, a term where uh, where <laughs> homosexual men who derive sexual gratification from putting a hamster up there. Oh, you mean like Richard Gere? Yeah. Only that was a gerbil. And it's also not true. And that's not true either. Nobody sticks... Live animals up their anus. I can't imagine... Nobody has that much room in their anus for a hamster. Or to have something that has teeth and claws to be up there. I don't right. think it's a, a great idea. They d- they declare this to be false. And they say that they were named because of friends who owned and worked in a pet shop. Well, that doesn't make any sense either. Neither I, one of those stories are true. Why doesn't the second one make sense? Why would they name their band after their friend's pet pet shop they have friends who worked in a pet shop and so they became the pet shop boys i prefer to go with that let's just go with that neither one of those are true how about joy division Ugh, 
Liz is going to be so mad at me that I don't know this. Because um, our friend Liz. Hi, Liz. She loves Joy Division. One of her favorite bands. It has something to do with sex, right? Because all these have to do with sex. Yeah, if, if only that was all it had to do with. <laughs> hmm. I know what Pearl Jam is. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to I that. I think we all know what Pearl Jam is. Joy Division were named after the sexual slavery wing of a Nazi concentration camp named in the novel House of Dolls. Ugh. That's pretty horrid. That's depressing. It really is. No wonder he killed himself. Oh, God. I was just going to say that I was just thinking <laughs> about the fact that he killed himself earlier today because it was on a um, one of the music podcasts that I, was, I, I listened to that, you know, about their their last session and and everything and their last single and how it was kind of a an epitaph for him before in before he even died and anyway continuing this is quite bleak <laughs> and it could it could well no it doesn't no, no, continue no. To be so pearl jam it's just spooge it's spooge yeah uh the band reject this and say it's not but it is 10 cc just like pearl necklaces when ejaculate around your significant others 10 cc that's how much spooge is in a um ejaculate the average volume of ejaculate yes which is funny thanks john that's given us i have a funny story about uh steely dead though oh dear well you've already heard it our our church is uh holding a block party we do this every year and i'm on the block party committee because of course i am um because i'm the real life sally (laughs) only i've never been to prison and uh somehow the conversation got around to bands that we liked and and bands we liked growing up and stuff and one of the women said that she was not fan of the doors which i'm not either and that she also doesn't like Steely Dan. And our pastor said, oh, I really like Steely Dan. Steely Dan's one of my favorite bands. And I said, it wouldn't be if you knew <laughs> how they got their name, which I really shouldn't have said, because then, of course, he was like, well, how did they get their name? I don't know that story. Hmm. You know, and I tried to distract and talk about other stuff. But then there was a lull of the conversation and he was like, no, but really, how did Steely Dan get their name? And I was like, they're named after a sex toy. And he said, oh, I like them even more now. And then we got on to uh, talking about who was going to man the cotton candy machine this year, which is me. Okay. That's funny, though. Talking to Uh, the pastor of your church about sex toys. Canadian Helen got in touch (laughs) and she says, if Tim's dad wants to get some pointers on how to fake an illness, he should watch this hilarious British TV show called Sick Note. Have you watched Signal? No. I haven't either. It stars Rupert Grint from Harry Potter, Don Johnson and Lindsay Lohan. Wow, that's a a disparate group. I think I've heard of this. I think it's on either Netflix or Hulu. The main character, Daniel, gets diagnosed with cancer and he goes uh, through a round of chemo and then he finds out that he was misdiagnosed. But since he's been getting benefits from being sick, he has to keep pretending that he's still ill. Yes. 
And that's the Rupert Grint character. The lie compounds and things keep getting more difficult for Daniel. That does seem quite interesting, though. What what? What what? What what? Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. There's nothing in Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. What you drinking? I am drinking cupcake Pinot Grigio. Which you bought for me for our anniversary, for our anniversary 2.0, and I'm just now cracking it Ages open. Ages ago, right. Yeah, I'm just now cracking it open, because I don't really drink that much anymore. Because we got married twice. I don't think we've ever <laughs> talked about that. Have we mentioned this? <laughs> oh, should we? We had... Oh, good, we, we're going to do this. Okay. Well, no, it's kind of like... It's kind of like Sinead and Daniel, only not... It's kind of the opposite. <laughs> We had like an official ceremony with just the two of us here in Michigan and the kids. And then later on in the year, we had a bigger ceremony with our friends and family in Connecticut to which everybody was able to attend. So it's a boring story when I tell it this way. Well, it's an interesting story, but you've managed to tell it quite boringly. (laughs) Well, because I didn't. It's. Yeah. 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 There's bits of the story that you don't want to share. No. So maybe we don't want to talk about any of this. Yeah. Shall I cut our friend, this out? Our friend Ian is, and his um, boyfriend Derek are getting married in Scotland. I kind of want to go because he said I could wear an inflatable dinosaur costume. Well, that's fine. You should do that. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go without you. Well. <laughs> but then again, you're going to Orlando without me, so. Yeah, well, that hasn't been decided yet. Let's mm. cut all of this out. No. All of it. Even the inflatable dinosaur costume. Yes, particularly <laughs> that. Part. Oh, no. And you haven't asked what I'm drinking yet. <laughs> what are you drinking? Oh, Diet Venors. Yeah, in one of those fancy schmancy lighthouse cans. I don't know why they change the cans. It's it's a, a special collector's edition. Yeah, we're going to collect these, sure. People do. It's like the Mountain Dew cans with all the different states. Except for Michigan, because they messed Michigan up and forgot to put it on the UP. And made the UP part of Wisconsin. I am struggling so much. So it is also bad for you. Mm. So our first story today. We should do this tomorrow. Our first story tonight. So, shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is Fiery Hope. Very nice. Thank you. Hope and flamey. What? Well, I was thinking Hope and Glory, but it didn't It didn't really work. Yeah, there's something better in there that I, I really couldn't be bothered to <laughs> dig too hard to find, but that's the best we can cope with. It's about Hope. Yeah. And she's setting fire. Going up in flames. On Monday, Fizz comes into the living room creepy dolls. and instantly starts going on about how hope can't be pushed from pillar to post anymore. She asked him, that is Tyrone, to do one thing and then we hear the front door closing which confuses Ty because he thought that Evelyn had already left. They continue to bicker until Ruby bursts in and tells Fizz to stop yelling at her daddy. Stop yelling at my daddy. Go on, Ruby. Tyrone tells Ruby to play with Hope, but Ruby says that Hope's already left. What? That was the slamming of the door that you guys should have investigated. And Fizz and Tyrone go out looking for her now. So Tyrone is home later and he's had no luck. No one else has seen her. 
Fizz goes to phone the police while Tyrone blames himself for all this. Oh, poor Ty. Is it his fault? Yes. Yes, <laughs> clearly it's his fault. Absolutely. Then Michael arrives. Okay, so there's some builders stuff going on here as well. Correct, because because the Baileys are builders. Michael arrives at the factory building site. Ed needs some help picking stuff up with him at the Builders Merchants, which is code, actually, for going to get a Caribbean restaurant meal. Yes, which sounds delightful. So two of them leave, and we see Hope has managed to sneak into the uh, to the factory. Ed locks the place up, and off he and Michael go until they're stopped by Aggie, who has brought them cheese sandwiches, and who knows exactly what they're both up to and what this Caribbean restaurant really is. A Caribbean restaurant. It's a Caribbean restaurant. Right, but it's all the way over on the other side of town and there's a builder supply store much closer. Around the corner. Right. In the factory, Hope hears Tyrone shouting on her, but she ignores him and she takes a seat on a cement bag or something. And she's got her backpack. She's obviously running away. She's got her doll. And what does she do? This terrified me. I know. (laughs) You yelped. I actually physically yelped. Oh dear! I gotta clutch, clutch my pearls. If I had well, pearls, kind of pearls, if I had pearls, I certainly would have clutched them. Because she's got her dolly and she pulls the head off it. Yes, but not like that. Just like that. She just rips the head off it. Yeah, yeah, and I thought it was just because she was mad. Oh, but then I was really confused later on when the head is back on. Right. Yeah. Then Evelyn is on Dave's tablet looking at Weatherfield Gazette's uh, website. And she's trying to find her story. What was her story again? Remember, she was protesting and trying to get Hope back in. Oh, yes. But she's having to scroll past the ads for dating sites in Viagra that she sure isn't due to Dev's browsing history. That's funny. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Evelyn finds the article finally and they've spelled her name wrong. They've spelled her like Plumber, P-L-U-M-B-E-R, not M-M-E-R. Like Christopher. And She says like Christopher and not the profession. And ITV.com spelled her name wrong also that's hilarious then elon mistakes the word adamant for adamant and dev says ridicule <laughs> is nothing to be scared of which is hilarious do you know why that's hilarious because you really like adamant and that was your first that was the first album you ever bought adamant's uh prince charming song mm-hmm. contained the lyric ridicule is nothing to be, to be scared of, of. yes Tyrone bursts into Dave's... Also, it's your first record. ...telling Evelyn that Hope has gone missing, and Evelyn doesn't waste a second. An second? A second. And Evelyn doesn't waste a second in running off to help. Absolutely. Bless she's, her heart. She's a good grand now. Yep. Bless her. So then the police are around at Fizz and Tyrone's, and Fizz has no clue why uh, Hope ran away. Hope really? is so excited to be coming home, which Evelyn, well, she kind of confirms. Fizz wants to know that Hope is going to be okay. The police dodge the question until Fizz pins them down. They'll do everything they can, and Evelyn Audley is the most positive person in the room. The police recommend looking in all the places that Hope isn't allowed. Mm-hmm. Then, we see Maria and Ali leave the bistro, and they are dressed to the nines. Yes. Cocktail dress. And Shaken, not stirred. He's wearing his tuxedo and dicky bow. He's looking very much the Sean Connery impression. Yes. Well, thank you, Miss Moneybenny. <laughs> and the less said about that, the better. Yes. They're about to jump into a cab when Ali notices yes. that there's a fire from the factory, and he rushes over to it. Dev puts two and two together. 
Hope's in there, he says. Inside, Hope has set a bonfire. Well... Has she? There's a fire there and Hope is there, but we don't know that she's lit it. It looks very much like she's lit it, though. It's a little she's, square that she's set on fire, or somebody's set on fire. But she also looks startled and she looks scared, and there's, like, gas canisters right there, which, yikes... Why are there gas canisters inside the factory, inside the shut factory that's been shut for months? Do you need gas to make knickers? I don't know if if it's for like if it's for like a hydraulic drill or hammer or something. You know, if it's like if it's more compressed air. No, than like gas. propane. Yeah. Anyway, Hope calls for help, and Maria tells Ali to wait for the fire brigade. But uh, he spots a way inside up some scaffolding. So he climbs up and looks to get away inside. And meanwhile, Hope is inside looking at the flames. She's put the dolly's head back on. So -hmm. she's not that scary, I guess. Well, no, because the head's back on. Ali manages to kick through a door and he drags the bottles of gas away from the flames using his tuxedo jacket. Yes, because they're very hot. Yep. He sends Hope further upstairs and helps her move towards the exit. And he tells her to jump. And he promises to catch her. And outside, Maria calls Ty and tells him to get his ass over here right now. And back in the factory, Hope jumps into Ali's arms. After throwing her dolly down first, which yeah. was sweet. Ali, Ali did a great job, you know, in... in he's very good with kids. He yeah, should have a few of his own. He does a fantastic job. They grab the doll and run back out the way that they came in. And he gets her out into the street just as the fire brigade arrive. Ali checks Hope over quickly and makes sure that no one else was in the factory. Tyrone says he will never forget this. And Maria throws himself on Ali. Ali is Herself. A f- and Ali is a fucking hero. And he is 100% definitely going to get his hole tonight. It was quite the scene. It was. Yes. It was quite exciting. It was... Absolutely. It was... It was a great way to start the week. Right. And it was the... Highlight of the week. <laughs> Probably. If it's some of the sometimes Coronation Street tries to do these big set piece event things mm-hmm. that, that don't really work that well because it's a TV show and not right. a movie. But I thought I thought that was uh, yeah, it worked very well. I thought it was a great yeah, great couple of minutes as yeah. it wasn't James somebody, Bond Alley goes bursting right. this burning it wasn't factory. Somebody to, dying of an exploded hairdryer, right? And a factory didn't fall on somebody's head. No, and a tram didn't fall from the sky and crush somebody. Oh, that was quite good as well. I never saw that one. Oh, yeah, that yeah, that was pretty well done. <laughs> then back at Maria's, Ali seems to be in a world of his own. Maria wants a look at him, but he needs to go back to his own place. He creates a few excuses that she bats away until he tells her that he needs to go back to his and he arranges to meet her in the rovers in half an hour or so. Yeah, he needs some time by himself to kind of process. Wants to get a shower and just get right. rid of those he clothes. He doesn't want a shower there. He he needs to come down from all of this. Right. And at the police station, Hope is telling the police that two boys set the fire and ran away uh, from the, the front door at the factory. Ty is worried because the front door is, was locked. Right. Which it was. And the cops don't have any other questions, but Ty is starting to wonder about the real cause of the fire. And Hope is wearing a little police officer's hat. It's very cute. Yeah, it was cute, yeah. Yay. She reminded me of Chance. (laughs) (laughs) 
Then later, Hope is home and gets hugs from Ruby and Evelyn. Evelyn goes to make her tea. Hope doesn't want to go back to Birmingham, she says. She wants to stay home. And this makes Fizz change her mind because... With Ruby and Daddy and Nana. Yes. Because Fizz was wanting to take her back to Birmingham. Right. But Fizz changes her mind about that. She can't split up their family. They'll stay and she tells Hope to hand over Dolly. But she refuses and then they go off for a bath. Which mm-hmm. interrupts poor Ruby from her rafters. Because mm-hmm. Ruby's having her... <laughs> she's having her ice cream mm-hmm. and she gets interrupted. It was a wee shame. When it's just Ty and his nan, Tyrone tells her that he reckons that Hope did it. She set the fire. Dum, dum, dum. Then Marie and Ali come into the rovers to a round of applause from the punters. Woohoo! Ali's in a better mood now that he's had a shower and a change of clothes. And poor, poor Craig is no longer the hero of Coronation Street. Because what did Craig do to be a hero last week? He saved Bethany from getting hit by a car. Oh, that's by... right. He was run over by a car. Yes. By getting run over himself and pushing her out of the way. Then Fizz comes downstairs and Evelyn immediately blabs about Ty's suspicions. Fizz admits to thinking that way too to begin with, but after seeing her play in play therapy, Fizz thinks that she's a different wee girl now. Fizz allows Tyrone to ask her, but he has to wait until the morning. And it's not only that, but what about her running off? Fizz will speak to the Birmingham school for their advice and Evelyn pipes up that whatever it is, they'll solve this problem because that's what families do. Huzzah! Evil Gran is no more. Nice Gran. Yeah, Fizz is very grateful for the support. That was a lovely little scene. It was a lovely little scene. Because uh, for oh God, up until we're going to be point, giving moment of the week to no, <laughs> Evil again, aren't we? Because we? we just love her. But it was a. She obviously had her issues with Hope. Right. In the past. And with Fizz. And with Fizz in the past. And she had these moments last week where she was questioning Tyrone about what what he expected to be happening from, right? you know, this week going forward and, and stuff. And, and he was very much saying, no, everything's going to be fine. And she didn't seem to be that convinced about that. But this week she's been... Absolutely. Just... Absolutely. The, the absolute... Just a delight. The, the, the best part of the family. and The bee's knees. And holding everyone together, which was lovely. She's our rock. Fizz is grateful for the support, and meanwhile, on the stairs, we see Hope uh, take the head of her dolly again. Only not with such a violent pop, so you didn't scream like a little girl I didn't girl scream the second time, though. No. And inside the head, there's a cigarette lighter. Yeah, so Hope is, Hope is starting to just smoke cigarettes now. She's a smoker. Or set fires. Yeah, but... Where would you don't she... you don't seem to be that convinced that hope was the source of this fire. I just feel like it's a huge red herring, you know. I don't know. Plus, she would have had to have had that lighter already, unless she found it somewhere in the factory. I don't. If she did light it, I don't think it was intentional to like cause harm. Necessarily, I think she was running away and she was cold, so she started a fire. Because, you know, when you run away, you, you you pack all your camping supplies and stuff, too, because you think you're going to have to go out and live in the woods. No, but okay. Did you ever run away from home? No. Never? No, I don't think so. Oh. Never mind, then. No, because home was where roasted cheese existed. <laughs> so. Maybe in your house. Yeah, it did. It was great. <laughs> Somebody else made it for me. <laughs> Underwoods, why did you... Run away from home? Mm. Yeah, a couple times. 
And how far did you get? Not very far. How long did it last? Not very long. Like an hour? Once longer than that, but once, yeah, about an hour. <laughs> My parents were very good at finding me. <laughs> On Wednesday, Fizz and Tyrone are speaking with Hope. They need to know if it really was the two little boys who set the fire. And Hope sees through their carefully constructed routine and insists that she didn't do it. And Fizz and Tyrone say that they believe her and they give her a hug. And then she goes up the stairs and she has a massive smile on her face. <laughs> I mm. swear she's going to kill everyone on the street. <laughs> Fizz has been... Not if Jude gets there first. Fizz has been to Hope's new school and it's fine. But you know what? It takes her 50 minutes to get there. I thought it was 50. It's far That's too far away. That's why I said 50 minutes away. I thought you said 15. You don't understand my accent. It's far too far away. So Fizz has had a brainwave. She's going to homeschool Hope. She did it with Chesney. She can do it with Hope. And Tyrone and Evelyn look fairly unconvinced about this. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Chesney is a completely different animal than Hope. Right. It's ginger for a start. <laughs> well. So Ty... Ginger jeans. So Ty, Fizz and Evelyn and the girls have decided to go to the bistro and this is a place that they're going to announce their plans for Hope's homeschooling. Ruby doesn't think this Evelyn is fair. Evelyn wants really hot tea. Right. Ruby doesn't think this is fair and Hope is very quick to taunt her sister saying that she doesn't have to go to school anymore. I don't have to go to school anymore. Yeah, your mum's going to school you and that's going to be harder. Well, not as far as Ruby's concerned. Ruby is not, She's not, not happy. happy about this. Yeah. And then People there's a change. strange little scene where the Baileys pop round to see Ty and Fizz. They brought some of Aggie's biscuits. And we all know that Aggie's not exactly the best cook in the world. Right. Yeah. How do we feel about this? About the biscuits? About Aggie not being the best biscuit maker in the world. Ah. I've seen a lot of complaints about this one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, a woman needs to be able to make biscuits, basically. And if really? she can't, she's a failure. Yeah. How dare they? That's very offensive. She's a career woman. You said that people were complaining that a woman should know how to make biscuits for her man. Oh no, the the the, the kind of the complaint is that they make a big deal about the fact that she can't. Oh, okay. So it's not people making a big deal about the fact that she can't, you know, and that she should be able to, and how dare she not be able to cook. It's a show making this a... Making this a, yeah. Like a trope that, oh, look at this woman who can't make cakes. You're a better baker than I am. Well, actually, you do it more than I do. Right. I think we're about even. Although I think you you have more patience with it than I do. Hmm. And you're you're tougher with a wad of dough. You can you can beat it up a lot better than I can. Oh yeah, you've got manly muscles. Right, you've got quite the arms. So with Tyrone out for a pint, Fizz is having a secret phone call with someone, telling them that it's awkward and she can't tell him yet. And Ty comes home and Fizz quickly hangs up. That was out of the blue. Well, no, because last week she was on the phone with somebody and she says, "I miss you too," and then hangs up really quickly. <laughs> When Ty came in. I didn't notice that at all. Really? Well, I did. And no. then the scene where uh, Aggie and Ed come in with the biscuits. 
right before that, Ty was saying, why don't we get Gran to watch the kids and we can go out for a pint. And Fizz is like, uh, I don't know. I think I just want to stay in. And then after Aggie and Ed leave and Ty is offering her a biscuit, she's like, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go upstairs and have a bath. So she seems like she doesn't want to spend an awful lot of time with him. Oh. How are you missing that? I, I didn't see that at all. <laughs> so cute. Such a dude. Yeah, so I'm I'm not 100% convinced that it was Hope who started the fire or what her or if she did what her intentions were with that fire. You know, um whether she did it on purpose or not. I I just I feel like it would be far too obvious and that there's something else going on there. But I, she's there with a lighter. Right. Well, like I said, maybe she didn't intend to start like a fire fire. You know, maybe she's wanted to start just a little fire to keep herself warm. Or maybe she was going to try to burn her doll or or herself. God forbid. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like it's far too simplistic that this, this wee girl who has been away for months and months and months. Right. To the special school to help her with her anger issues and everything would come back and immediately be just as bad and just as naughty. That just doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me. And it feels a little irresponsible of the show if that's the way they're going. Like, see, therapy doesn't work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I hope Fizz and Ty stay together, though. Yeah, me too. I would I'm, not be I'm, happy if that couple broke up. I'm worried about this secret phone call stuff. Hmm. Our next storyline tonight. Tim's fucking dad. Oh, go fuck off. <laughs> On Monday, Tim's dad is watching Yasmin on his laptop when he gets a call from her. She asks after the doctor's results, but he'd rather do this face-to-face. And he pretends to cough, and then he hangs up and enjoys watching her reaction on his laptop. Because he's a fucking psychopath. Right. Yasmin goes round to see Tim's dad. What did the doctor say, she says. Tim's dad doesn't want to talk about it. Too many people talking about stuff, he says. What happened to a stiff upper lip and all that? Yasmin worries that her assumption of cancer might have been right. And while Tim's dad doesn't say yes, he definitely doesn't say no. Mm-hmm. And he reminds her to keep this to herself. Mm-hmm. Then Yasmin sees Sally and Dev's. She's getting stuff for her and Tim's treat night. Never treat night. Right. Yeah, their treats, frozen pizza. Where they don't worry about Tim's heart condition because normally they worry about Tim's heart condition. Right. So, what so about their Tim's- treat is frozen pizza. Right. What about Tim's dad, asks Yasmin. And off screen, Yasmin breaks Tim's dad's confidence and tells Sally about the cancer. Then back at Sally's, Tim's dad comes home and she and Tim confront Tim's dad. Sally knows what this is about and Tim says he doesn't need protecting. Tim's dad has an expression that says, Ugh, that fucking woman. Tim's dad says Yasmin's got it all wrong. She's melodramatic, but all he had was a virus. He's in the clear. She's let her imagination run away with herself, She said, he says. <clears throat> and Sally tells him that he needs to speak to Yasmin, who's been worrying herself sick. Tim thinks Yasmin has a lot to answer for. Uh, go fuck off, Tim. <laughs> so Tim's dad goes to see Yasmin. It's not cancer. It's supraventricular tachycardia. SVT. So get it right yeah, fucking up here. And you in your Google searches, he says. 
He presents her with some results from Dr. Gadas. It's not life-threatening, but it does explain the symptoms. Yasmin is appalled that she blabbed to Sally, and she feels awful, but... <clears throat> and he doesn't want Tim to know about the SVT for some reason. Because he doesn't have it. Because he doesn't have it, right. Then Alia comes home and finds Tim's dad's paperwork from the doctor, and she's surprised that it's from Dr. Gadas, as it looks like it was printed off from the internet. Which it was. From Dr. Google. <laughs> she poo-poos her suspicions, saying it's probably nothing, and goes off to make tea, but Tim's dad is watching on his laptop, and he's super pissed off at this. Then at home, Tim's dad sees Alia and Yasmin in the back garden, and so sprays himself in the face with a water... Uh, with a plant waterer. With a, yeah, a plant mister. Yep. And then goes out saying that Tim and Sally want him to water their plants for him. Yasmin and Alia think that he should go and take a break, although Alia looks a little bit more suspicious than Yasmin does about this. Uh, yeah, because he's obviously just cheesing it up. Right. Then Yasmin is that Sally's getting himself, uh, getting Tim's dad a glass of water. He's better, but when it comes over, it's like his heart is going 100 miles an hour, he says. It all started when he moved in with her. She quizzes him about the paperwork Dr. Gadas gave him, but he says that he printed it off himself afterwards. Uh-huh. She asks him to move back with her. It terrified her, the thought of losing him, and he agrees and says that he missed her so much, and Yasmin is so very sorry for everything that happened, and this makes Tim's dad very happy. And it makes me very pissed off. Right. On Wednesday, a couple of scenes, Tim's dad is helping Yasmin in the kitchen at Speed Dal. She's looking forward to their future together, and he arranges for a quiet night in tonight. Hmm. <laughs> Gross. And later, Tim is at Speed Dal and happy to see that his dad and Yasmin are back together again. Yasmin says that she jumped the gun and that Tim's dad as well, and she's not going to let him out of her sight again. Mm-hmm. On Friday... For reasons I wasn't aware of at the time, Tim's dad is dressed in a boxer's gown. What was that about? I don't know. He's it, It's something that he has, and he's moving his crap back in the house, and he's pretending to be Raging Bull, because God knows he couldn't even pretend to be Rocky. Right. And when Alia comes in to get her old hairdryer back, Yasmin says that Tim's dad is trying to be Rocky. Right. And Tim's dad is not happy about this no. mistake. Very pissed off because apparently, apparently he prefers Raging Bull uh, who knows? to Rocky. What is wrong with him? And later, Yasmin's insistent that There's Tim's dad feels him. at home to the extent that she's willing to redecorate just so his stupid fucking print of Houdini fits in with her decor. Yes. He's also bought some uh, magic equipment over, announcing that he intends to practice in the room. And Yasmin laughs, but is clearly unhappy about this. <laughs> right, and then she asks Alia for her keys back, but which is Tim's obviously something prompting. Tim's dad wants her to do, which creeps the F out of me and just bothers me so much. But at least she's not chucking all of that stuff that was her son's stuff that she had under the bed. At least she's giving it to Alia, and that's better. <sighs> I, I'm happy about that. She's not just throwing that stuff away. Right, so this is just the continued... Uh, breaking down a Yasmin. Me- Yasmin's mental and emotional health is I'm, just completely getting. I'm interested that Alia seems to be 
very much against this and, and sees what's going on a little bit and doesn't think this is right. Which is weird because last week she was telling Tim's fucking dad how much her gran right. really cares about him and that he should give her a second chance. So none of this makes any sense. That print off from the doctor seems to have been... Yeah, it seems to have keyed something for her. Right. How have they not found that camera? It's so obvious. <laughs> because it, there there can't be anything in the way. You never look at that? You never look at those You never dust CDs? those shelves? You never use a CD ever? Okay, it, well, maybe you don't, but Right, still. but they, it's it's got to be like on top of or in between the CDs so that you would see it. Because he's able to get a clear, a very clear image shot, of her. Right. So there's nothing blocking it. There's nothing in the way. None of this makes any sense. And I just want him to die. Lovely stuff. Our next storyline tonight, I've called Art Imitating Life. <laughs> well, I, wonder, I wonder if you can figure out what this story is. I really can't. On Monday, it always rolls. Bethany and Kirk have given Craig his 21st birthday tankard for behind the bar <laughs> okay, right. and the rovers. <laughs> yeah. So there's, but, but Craig, unlike Coulson, actually goes out with his friends later. But he keeps the tankard <laughs> he doesn't seem away to, from the rovers. He doesn't seem to want it at the rovers. Just in case it gets damaged. Right. That, That's all that happens in that storyline. But then he goes out with his friends later. So that does he? Yeah, because everybody's like, "Oh, we're going out to celebrate Craig's birthday later." Why don't I remember this? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, because because uh, Beth and Kirk tell him he should take his tankard with his name on it with him for his for his birthday do with his friends, and he's like, "No, it's all right." He doesn't seem happy with this tankard right from the start. So no. I, I was it hoping that we're going to see what was written on it in case there was something a little bit embarrassing on it. Well, it's got his name on it. Well, there's nothing much embarrassing about Craig, is it? Unless, Unless like... it says Craigie. <laughs> it might say Craigie. And anyway, then there's something, there's something uh, later on which I'm sure will hit on the Eileen storyline. That, that bit where Beth and Eileen kind of have a go at one another and about their... Oh, no, I'll skip over that. ...equal taste in... Their equal bad taste in men. Yeah, I don't, I don't mention that. Because part of that, you know... Well, Craig is there for that as well, you know, about his dad being in prison and are you sure that was really your and, dad? And still married to Beth. Yeah. Hmm. Our next story... Hmm. On the lamb with Jan. On Monday, in Roy's roles, Mary gets a call from a landlord and she tells Dev that she's found somewhere and then quickly flounces out. Aggie says, Falling knives, runaway wives, don't try and catch them, she says. Dev explains that they aren't married, but takes a point. What? They both act like that would be a ridiculous thing to do. But I think they would actually be really good together. Dev and Mary? Yeah. They're about the same age. Why does why is Mary not allowed to have a sex life? This is something that irritates the heck out of me and always has. Right. It does it doesn't make any sense 
they've been living together for all this time. They're very good friends. They take care of one another. You know, that's what I was kind of hoping was going to happen. That this, that the, the, the kids wanting their own room and stuff was going to force Dev to admit to Mary how he feels about her or something. Because Mary deserves to have a sex life, damn it. I'm so sick and tired of this, of her just being this weird caricature and not a full-fledged human being on the show. I know I've complained about this before and I will continue to do so until they make her a full-fledged character on the show with like a sex life and not just the kooky woman who has a jacket from a gang that she belonged to all by herself. Yeah, we'll get to that but. Yeah. Eileen's home uh, from visiting Jan. He'll make a full recovery physically, but she worries about the emotional damage. Then, strangely, Seb tells her not to blame herself for leading Rachel straight to him. Which is like, I wasn't sure that Eileen was doing that. Yeah, but she was. Then she reveals that she intends to leave with him. And later, Seb tells Eileen that she's making a mistake. It's far too dangerous. But Eileen doesn't care and tells Seb that he can take over the running of the house. He's just going to need to get a lodger to help to pay for the bills. And right. she and Jan are going into the witness protection program because that's the thing. Hooray. It is a thing. Yep. Then Seb's walking down the street past a dodgy looking white van and he hears voices of Eastern European people talking about killing police and right. then talking in their native tongue because any Eastern European people are clearly evil. Right. Well, it's because the only Polish people he knows tried to kill Eileen. Then Seb was on the phone to the cops with about a two by four in his hands outside the van and Craig wonders what the fuck Seb is doing, and then Mary bursts out with a scream. Well, what about the voices? And she explains that she was watching some Polish classic on DVD, and it is an hilarious mix-up. So right, Mary, is living Mary is living in a white... She doesn't have a landlord. No, she's living in a white Jesus camper van now. Yay. Yeah. Yay. This makes... So she's homeless now. Yeah. Ugh. Do you think Deb would let Mary be homeless? No, no, but she has insisted to him that he's she's found a new place. So if if he knew, then he wouldn't. But he doesn't know that. And Mary reveals that she's intending to sleep in that van on a near mattress that has a puncture in it. And she pretends that this is okay, but Seb isn't so sure. So at home, Seb reckons that Mary's living in this van, that he's lost Alina, and who is he to put... Eileen off her happiness with Jan. Let's get ourselves to the Rovers for a pint, but this seems to make Eileen think about something. Then Sean is sitting with Eileen and Seb, talking about that holiday that never went on. Maybe they should get booked up now, and he resolves to pounce on the first deal he sees, but Seb and then Eileen gently persuade him to stick a pin in it, and they also convince him to postpone his idea of a getaway. Stick a pin in it. Stick a pin in it, Sean. Seb speaks Very to Mary sharp pin. at the jukebox and he invites her to move into Eileen's and Eileen won't mind, he says, and Mary is thrilled to bits and gives Seb a hug. Which is lovely. Then on Wednesday, Eileen is ready to leave and she seems happy that Mary's going to be moving in to look after Seb. Mary's there and has already started cleaning the bathroom and she heads off to take care of her errands. Eileen seems a bit pissed off at Mary already. Right, she because, doesn't care. because of the insinuation that her house isn't clean already. Right. But she's got a few people that she needs to say cheerio to. Correct. So Steve and Tim are playing the uh, post-it note stuck on your forehead game. 
and Steve is Eileen. Because that's a thing. Right. And in comes Eileen to ask for a couple of weeks off. She claims to be off to Spain. And they agree to her leave, and a sombre Eileen says that she's going to miss a pair of them and that she hopes that things work out with Steve and Emma. She gives them a longing look as she leaves. Then Sean turns up at the cab office and Tim tells him about Eileen's holiday and being a bit sloppy earlier on. And this is enough to get Sean's brain working and he hurries off and bumps into Dev who tells him about Mary moving in to Eileen's. So everyone is telling Sean stuff in this couple of scenes, yeah. which is quite yeah. exposition-y. People that Sean never really talked to right. at all, ever. So he goes round to Eileen's and he quizzes her on her holiday. He seems put out that Eileen didn't think of him for the holiday or the new roommate thing. Right, yeah, because it's all about you, Sean. Right. No wonder you were homeless. Right. Don't you remember when you were homeless? Why would you want that to wish that on Mary, Sean? Yep. No wonder Carol never calls you back. <laughs> Eileen tells him to leave it, but Sean knows that she's lying and suspects that she's running away with Jan. This is going to be the mistake of her life. But Eileen maintains her innocence and tells him to see himself out. Then Mary and Seb are at the Rovers. She's bought him a drink and offers to show him her stamp collection. That was quite strange. She's got a stamp collection. Is that strange? Yeah, because no. she's quirky and funny and one-dimensional and ha ha ha. And never needs she's, her hole. She's a middle-aged old woman who has no sex life and no compunction for a sex life and tells people they're silly when they suggest that she should be hooked up with somebody and is quite happy with her stamps. Ha 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 ha. No, stop it. In comes Sean and pretends to Seb that Eileen admitted about the Jan thing. Seb confirms this and Sean is shocked, leaving Seb furious that Sean has lied to his face. And it's like, Seb, people have done... People have pulled this trick on you before. Right. Why would you fall for it again when Eileen specifically told you that she didn't tell anybody else that it is of the utmost importance not to tell anybody? Sean announces that he's going to talk her out of it come hell or high water. This is far too dangerous. Then Sean is back like, Please don't. at Eileen's door, but the door's locked and she's not for answering. Then inexplicably, at the hospital... Sean gets by the armed guards. Right, he talks to outside. one of the armed guards, and the armed guards like, "Yeah, sure, go yeah, ahead, pal." <laughs> I don't know if he checks his ID, if Sean's able to convince him that he's a friend. They don't confirm this with Jan. I'm a friend of the girlfriend of the man that's in that ward. Can right. I come in? Yeah, sure. Knock yourself out. No. So Sean was looking for Eileen there uh, and is disappointed not to find her, but he wanted to make sure that she doesn't go on and ruin her life, he says. He doesn't think that Jan gets it. He says that Jan is taking Eileen from all her friends and is worried about her safety. Jan insists that all that bother is in the past, but Sean worries that the bad guys will still come back to finish the job. Jan says he wouldn't let that happen, and Sean thinks that Jan should just walk away. Because apparently Sean knows all about relationships now. This is a strange development that I don't no think sense. anyone saw coming. That no. suddenly Sean is part of a storyline now. Right. And is just and fucking up Eileen's life. Is, yeah, and is capable of talking. And is capable of talking to Jan, who he's never shared like two words with before now. <laughs> right. And Jan is going to listen to him when Eileen has already said. You know, that she's changed her mind and she wants to be with him. When 
it's up to Eileen and Jan to make these decisions. Jan shouldn't be making these decisions for Eileen by himself. No. And Sean should stick his nose out of it. Right. Because he can't hold on to a relationship his own self and, you know, lives off of the generosity of his friends constantly. Jan does? No. Eileen does. Sean. Oh, Sean does. Okay, right. Which is how he got homeless in the first place. How is it that he still is in a position where... The show doesn't remember that he was homeless anymore. That's that's long forgotten. No, oh, that's so frustrating. He should be homeless again. Just just to... Just because he... And kick the fuck out of in our gents' toilets in the park. Absolutely. Island comes back I home will for... I do it myself. For a snow globe. It's a paperweight. Was it... Seb admits that Sean outwitted him and got the skinny on Jan. Eileen doesn't have time for this. The oh, taxi is waiting though. outside. Then Sean is on Maxine's bench when Beth comes along, curious to know why he's wasting his day off. Sean misses having companionship with someone. Yeah, well, maybe because you're just an ass. Maybe because yeah, yeah. you're just a terrible person, Sean. And maybe if that's the way you feel, maybe you shouldn't be trying to deny your friend that. Right piece of shit <laughs> and he had companionship with carol but let's not get into that no. beth needs a drink and he try and she tries to drag sean off with her but he worries that it won't be very good company and she goes off without him and he'd be correct then eileen gets to the hospital and she's got her suitcase that she's dragging behind her jan's not there and a nurse tells her that he discharged himself a couple of minutes ago and maybe she can catch him right, and then we see they said that he shouldn't discharge himself because he could burst his stitches stitches then we see Jan leaving the hospital and getting into an unmarked police car before Eileen can get to him. She phones him. Why didn't the police say, no, you can't leave yet. You're going to burst your stitches and we can't be responsible for your health and safety if you're not going to take care of your own health and safety. Plus, we've already agreed to let your girlfriend come with you on this witness protection. So the paperwork's already filed and she's probably in danger as well because she was with you when you got shot. So she's probably still should go into witness protection with or without you. <laughs> no, the police don't say anything. They just stand there like dumb idiots and just let him get into the car and look menacing. Oh, they do look menacing. Especially yeah. that one guy, the bald one. The one in the front? Bald men are always menacing. <laughs> <laughs> so, what... Where does it get to? Jan gets in the car and drives off with the police. Yeah. So Eileen's back home looking for Jan. She doesn't know what to do and Sean, inexplicably, is already in her house and he knows what happened to Jan. He admits to going to the hospital and talk some sense into him. Jan's gone and has somehow managed to write a letter for Eileen that Sean hands over. He he wrote a letter in the hospital. Really? Well, he's capable, apparently, of walking out of the hospital, not even in a wheelchair, getting wheeled to the car. And yet his stitches might burst. So she reads the letter. She didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. And Sean tries to convince her that this was for the best. Eileen tells him that he had no right to interfere. Correct. Mm-hmm. She tells him he couldn't bear to see Eileen being happy with someone and getting away. Correct. He insists that he's her friend and he cares about her. And she calls him a gooseberry to Paul and Billy, and she throws him out. Which is funny, because Paul and Billy are no longer together. And they haven't been in it for weeks. Correct. They're done, she says. Right. And chucks him out. Yeah, because he's like, I've always considered you like a mom. And it's like, 
you let your mom have her own decisions for her life. You know, it's like him getting mad because she didn't invite him on vacation. Maybe she wants to be on vacation by herself. Right. Maybe she doesn't want you to move in, Sean, because you already have a place. Uh-huh. Wait, he acts like he's so entitled to her life. What? I've it's never really on. liked Sean's character that much. I've, I've never been that much of a fan. He's not my favorite gay on the show. No. He does nothing to win himself over here. This no. is just terrible interference. It's absolutely terrible. Not required at all. And it makes no sense. No. And it's so sudden and... And it just makes him... It just makes his character look like he's such an awful person. Right. So on Friday, Sean is shouting through Eileen's letterbox, but not like that. But she's still ignoring him. Because he's gay. And then Eileen is still reading Jan's letter inside when Mary comes in with a box of DVDs. Eileen doesn't know how much more she can take of Mary. Mary hasn't even been one quarter of Mary so far. Right. Just because she's cheerful. Eileen doesn't like cheerful people. And she keeps on making Eileen cups of tea. Right. That Eileen fucking hates. Right, because... Because people hate people making cups of tea for right. you. Right. I, I hate the fact that this woman is being so nice because she's so grateful to have a place to live. Then later, Eileen realises that she can't handle Mary and she wants Seb to throw her out. And this does not please Seb, who is perplexed no. by Mary's wardrobe because she has this really strange... Silver what you call jacket. It? It's like a rail. Right, yeah. She's like... she's, But she's not the only person because Gemma has one and I have one in the basement... Mary reveals that she used to be the only member of the Mary gang. Yeah. That was kind of sad. She seems happy about it, though. Yeah. Seb explains Very that Eileen doesn't jacket. want Mary uh, to be there anymore because she's not leaving, and Mary is initially understanding until Seb reveals that he wants her to move out right now. And Roy's rolls, Eileen complains to Seb. And Mary reveals Seb, that she read that letter from Jan, which... She skimmed over it. She shouldn't have been reading it. (laughs) In Rock's Rolls, Eileen complains to Seb about Mary's relentless cheeriness. And then in comes Sean, and Eileen immediately leaves. Sean tells Seb that he loves Eileen more than his own mother. In that case, says Seb, help Mary move her shit out. (laughs) Oh, what you got in your head? Uh, My ears are really sweaty. In the rovers, Mary hands over her keys back to Eileen, saying that Sean explained things to her and she's off to find a and b and to make a few calls. She's disappointed that her lifeline has been ripped away and she apologises for all the tea that she made Eileen. And of course, Eileen makes uh, Mary stay. Yeah, Mary relents, or Eileen relents, as she should. Hug, asks Mary. Not maybe, yet. Maybe next time, says Eileen. Because yes. <laughs> it's just, it is two very different kinds of characters. But then again... Tracy and Mary are very different, and they're BFFs. So I I feel like Mary and Eileen can balance one another out rather nicely. And I'm hoping that's what's happen- going to happen. So she's moving in now? Yes. Which is what we thought last week. Right. So that's happened? Yes. Jan's gone? Yes. Is he coming back? I don't know. It'd be very dangerous if he did. Mm-hmm. But that, but Eileen's not leaving, and as much as I hate Sean for doing this and ruining Eileen's happiness, I'm happy she's staying because I like Eileen. Yeah, but now the uh, trafficking gang know exactly where Eileen is. So right, if they want to yeah. bump her off, then... Right, yeah, and if they want to, you know, ferret Jan out, 
they can make a big deal of it and kidnap Eileen or do something to her, maybe. But you know that's not really going to happen. The show's going to forget that this all ever happened in <laughs> Probably, like a couple yeah. weeks' time. Right. Why are my ears so sweaty? I don't know. <sighs> These earphones do warm the ears up a little bit, but never to the point where I feel compelled to take them off. Hmm. A little insight into yeah. the talk of the street towers and the. Maybe I should turn the fan on. Oh, no, you're fine. It says you. Our next storyline tonight, Steve and Emma. One Monday, Steve is playing Oral Yenga. That was strange. Yeah. He was trying to go for it's a world nearly record. As, it's not nearly as sexy as it sounds, folks. No. And then Emma comes in. She wants a cab to her dad's to clear out his flat. Everyone else is busy, so it's just her. And Steve offers her his assistance, and she thanks him. And comes Tim, who's concerned about their Oral Yenga world record attempt, but agrees to look after the place while Steve goes off with his daughter. Again, not nearly as sexy as it sounds. No. At Emma's dad's flat, Steve is helping pack up, and he finds a way the county programme for a cup tie he was also at. They lost 2-0, and uh, they ran out of pies, most of which were eaten by the players, he says. Steve wonders if he ever bumped into her dad at the games. Emma wants to pay him, and insists when Steve tries to say no, and gives him 30 quid. But on his way out, Steve leaves the 30 quid on the counter. Correct. As is, is the right thing to do. Right. And Steve is at the Rovers with Dev and he's unhappy with James who appears to be flirting with Emma about the hats that people achieve through playing football. Yeah. They're... International caps, that sort of thing. Right, and hat tricks. Dev thinks that this is exactly what Emma needs to take her mind off her dad. And along comes Ed, who's looking to tell Nick about the factory, and Steve tries to talk him into taking James just in case stuff turns nasty. Right. He doesn't need to worry about James. Dev makes Steve promise, promise to keep Stoom. But later, Steve is still aggrieved by James chatting up Emma, and despite Dev's advice, Steve goes to talk to James when Emma is off getting drinks. And when Emma comes back, she's not best pleased with Steve's involvement. Whether she's in the market for a boyfriend or not, it's neither here nor there. But she's certainly not in the mood for a new dad. So sit down, shut up, or fuck off, she says. And Steve takes a hint, and Dev says, I told you so in French. Correct. Yes, because Dev is the expert when it comes to teenage daughters. He's doing such a great job of his own. Right. I'll not get into that this week. Nope. That's unfortunate. Yep. Because that... Was kind of interesting last week or the mm. week before? Was it the week before last? The week before. Uh, last week, all we got was uh, them wanting Mary to move out. Cause... Right. Yeah, that bit yeah. wasn't interesting, but the bit before mm. that was interesting. Right. Hmm. It, 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 it will come back. Anyway, on Wednesday, Emma and Amy are in speed dial. Emma is filling Amy in on Steve's antics from the other day. Amy sticks up for her dad, saying that Steve was trying to do the right thing. Emma is off to collect her dad's ashes today and Amy offers to go with but this is something that Emma would like to do on her own. And at home, Steve is keen to quiz Amy about Emma again. She puts the kibosh on this but lets slip that she's off to collect her dad's ashes on her own and Steve agrees to cool his jets with her for a bit but then he leaves looking like he's not going to cool his jets at all. And he leaves to go at the Rovers. James is there and Steve apologises to him uh, for his behaviour the other day, James accepts. Then Steve wonders if James and Michael might be able to do him a favour. Uh-huh. But not like that. But not like that. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that was a... That was a very... <laughs> that was a big favour. 
It would be. <laughs> as as we've discussed, Steve Steve is well endowed. Oh. That anyway. Parts of him must be well endowed. To Emma have, to has hold got so her at Ten CCs. And she meets James getting off the bus. She explains that she wanted the ashes scattered at Weather County ground, but apparently she's checked and this isn't allowed. Just like at Disneyland. Well, there might be something that James can do to help with that. And we see Michael and Steve peeking around the corner behind Emma like characters in Scooby-Doo. Yeah, you're not allowed to have your ashes scattered at Disney World or Disneyland. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that... But people do it anyway. I wasn't allowed to scatter my ashes where I scattered... I think your ashes were fine because they're not... My mom's ashes. Yeah, it's not a place where people are constantly walking with their children. It's a reservoir, though, where they're drinking water. Yeah, I I peed in the Glasgow <laughs> Reservoir, so... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> because they have no bathrooms. And you didn't even need... There's no porta-potties or anything on that trail. There should be something on that trail. Steve has got Emma... Because we're just powering through now. <laughs> Steve has got Emma, James and Michael in his cab and they pull over at where they count his ground. This was quite funny because the ground was all painted blue. Mm-hmm. And Weather County famously play in... Green. Green. Mm-hmm. So the ground that they were actually at in real life was uh, Berry's ground, mm-hmm. who have just been kicked out of the Football League for going into administration. So taking ashes to a football club that has just died. What what? Yeah, <laughs> it was a little what what. Mm. They, couldn't, they couldn't fork the money over to find a stadium painted green they couldn't find one not in manchester no i don't think there is any football teams in manchester that play in green yeah but england is a very small country surely they could they could bus it's only small when you don't live there it's small i was talking to a guy today about how even travelling 26 miles at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon if you want to go to Glasgow. If you lived in Falkirk, you probably wouldn't do it because 26 miles away is far too far away. Yeah. And 50 miles away to go to St Andrews was like the, the end of the world. Yeah. You just don't do it. No. I'd I drive 22 miles to my work every morning. Yeah. Remember when we went to Loch Ness? It was your first time ever in Loch Ness. Right. That whole trip. <laughs> You're in your 40s. You've lived in Scotland your whole life. And your first time going to Loch Ness with your American wife. I was with you just to give us something to do because we just wanted to get out of the house. and Right. We've been trying to empty the house for a, a week or so. and Remember when we went to Edinburgh? It was my first time in Edinburgh. And I said, what's that up there? And you were like, I have no idea. And I was like, was let's after, go find out. And we're like, seat, walk right. it up. <laughs> British people are funny. If you live there... You're not interested in that sort of stuff. The the same is true here. My cousin worked in New York, and his uh, his window faced on to the Statue of Liberty. I said, "Have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty?" He said, "Nope." How long have you been here? Yeah, about five years. Yeah, but that's your cousin, though. David is David. <laughs> that's true. Anyway. Sean has got Emma, James and Michael in his cab and they pull over at the Weather County's ground. They have a plan to get Emma in and her dad scattered. 
But James is having problems getting access to the ground. His pass Uh-oh. doesn't seem to be working. That was weird. Because it's expired. Well, how did it? How did it ever get in then? The security guy lets him in. Remember? Anyway, I'm, no, but just day to day because he goes there every day to train. Right, but it must have like just expired and he didn't get a new one. So a returned security guard shows up wanting to know what on earth they're looking for. And the guard, despite knowing who James is, as being a job's worth about this and won't let them in. Steve manages to schmooze the guy and he's about to scan them through when he notices that Emma's carrying an urn. Ashes are not allowed. Emma explains that her dad loved her and Weddy County and that was it. And she begs him to let them through. This coupled with pleas from Steve and James. He acts like people come and want their ashes scattered all the there time. all the time. <laughs> or that they want their pets' ashes scattered there, which makes even less sense. Right. And this coupled with pleas from Steve and James is enough to melt the guard's heart and he unlocks the gate to let them through. And later, back on the street, Emma walks away with the urn, which is now empty, and she dumps it in the garbage. Her dad's gone now, she says. And worried <sighs> that she'll be alone, Steve and the boys convince her to go to the rovers. And in the rovers, James lets it slip that this was all Steve's idea to get into county and all that. And Tim is super pissed that he wasn't invited. <laughs> yeah, because Steve... Jenny let slip that that's what they did. Right. And Steve proposes a toast to Emma's dad, and Emma seems to thaw slightly towards Steve. Then on Friday, Emma and Amy bump into each other as Amy is on her way to school. Emma has a black bag of washing because Maria's machine is on the blink and the laundry somewhere or other isn't open or something. Emma is happy for Steve's assistance yesterday but calls him a spanner and they have a nice wee sisterly chat that has no real consequence whatsoever. Then Amy meets up with Steve and Tracy at Speed Dal and tells Steve about the conversation with Emma. Steve argues that spanners are dead important in that. She also thinks it would be a good idea to invite Emma around for tea sometime and then it becomes clear that Amy is already well invested in this new relationship that she has with Emma. Later, she invites Emma to come round to get her washing done and to enjoy tea and Emma pretends to be okay but Audrey, who's there, seems to see through Emma's feelings. Correct, because Audrey actually knows Emma, right. unlike Amy. And Tracy and Steve are worried about getting... Uh, all dressed up for Emma coming round. They're so nervous about this whole thing and Tracy tries to put uh, Steve's mind at ease and he tells her that he loves her. <laughs> he tells her that he loves her sometimes and she loves him sometimes too. Which was sweet. That's lovely. <laughs> and comes Emma with her washing and she's wearing her tracksuit. Uh, the dinner is awful with Steve and Tracy trying far too hard. And Amy trying far too hard. Yep. Emma's offered a ham sandwich, but she says that she's a vegetarian. And then she's offered cheese, but she says that she never liked cheese, which Tracy finds hard to believe, given that Steve is her dad. Amy wonders why they're intent on embarrassing her in front of Emma, and Emma looks very uncomfortable and thinks that she should go. Too much too soon, she says. And she leaves, and Steve grabs a plateful of sandwiches and heads off to his room. Right, and Tracy <laughs> has put on, put on the human league, because Tracy and Steve don't know any of the... Any of Emma's favourite musicians. Was it Don't You Want Me Baby? I don't know, it's very... Oh no, it's Human League. It, yeah, I said it was Human League. Don't You Want Me Baby, was that Human League? I don't think so. Oh, was it... Yeah, and... Um, oh, that was the Human League. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, it's funny because um, one of Emma's favourite musicians is... His name sounds like... Frodo, but it's not Frodo. Fredo. Yeah, and and Tracy says, 
I know who Fredo oh, is. He was in the I, Lord of the Rings. He was in the Lord of the Rings. That was funny. That was funny. So Emma's in the Rovers having a drink with Audrey. Emma thinks that everyone was making an effort, but all she's trying to do is grieve. And she doesn't think that anyone else understands that. She thinks Amy is adorable, but Steve is just a guy who knocked her mum up and has been married seven times. Audrey does like Steve, though, she says. Sometimes. Yeah, he's funny. Yeah, Human League did sing Don't You Want Me. So Emma's gone back to Steve. Looks like her washing has shrunk. Oops. <laughs> a wee bit. Emma agrees to some rhubarb crumble, which Steve takes as a win. And Steve and Emma are chatting round the table later, just on their own. He messed it up, but she could have maybe saved him a few marriages, uh, she says, which was quite funny. The joke about his gran, who's on the Isle of Wight. Good, says Steve, and they share a laugh. Steve can't help but be protective about her. He knew she was a lovely person all before this happened, and Emma tells him that he will never replace her dad, but they might be mates, and that's good enough for Steve. And she leaves, but it's on good terms. So Tracy's like our age. But right. she acts like Human League, which was early 80s, was like the music of her generation. So what millennial is writing this and thinks that Tracy, who was a teenager in the 90s, was listening to Human League? Oh, I'll listen to Human League. I know, but would you say that Human League was like the band of your generation? No, the, the band of my generation, I would say, was before that. Was Adam and the Ants and Shawadi Wadi? Oh my God, Shawadi Wadi! <laughs> no, Nirvana and no. Pearl Jam. Oh, that was much later. That was, not that was, gro- not that, that was when I was gr- a grown man. No, you were mm-hmm. like a teenager. You were no. seventeen. No, it was in my twenties when Nirvana all that happened. No, because I was still in high school, and I'm only three years younger than you. No. Yeah. Because I remember when Kurt Cobain died. Well, it was definitely in my 20s when that happened. That was 94, I think. 94, 95? Hmm. Because everybody in my in my high school, like whenever Pearl Jam was in town, the high school would be dead because everybody would have tickets. To I might have been Jam 19 concert. when Nevermind came out. Maybe. Maybe 92, I would say. Kurt Cobain. Died April 5th, 1984. Right, so I was 21. a senior in high school. So I was in my 20s. I was not. But that... But you're trying to tell me about my generation. And, and but a, a, you and I are I the same generation. We're both Gen X. Yeah, but that, was, that wasn't grown-up music. That was music when I was an adult. You know, high school. No, I was 21. I'd been working for four years. Yeah. The music when I was growing up was Frankie Goes to Hollywood and it was Not when you were Adam in high and the school, Ants. though. Yeah, pretty much. Adam and the Ants, that was 1980. Adam and the Ants was when I was in primary school, but right. secondary school was Frankie Goes to Hollywood and then it became heavy metal after that. Right. Okay, fine. Anyway. Our penultimate storyline tonight. Woohoo! Michelle's so stupid. <laughs> Took me a while to come up with that title. It did not take you very long at all. On Friday, Michelle is walking down the street on her phone to Ray and it seems that he's keen to have a meeting with her and judging by her expression, it's not good news. Then later, 
Ray is having coffee with Michelle and he insists there's nothing wrong and she's not about to get fired, which uh, she's quite pleased about. He asks what she thinks about the restaurants and his hotels. She thinks that they're a bit corporate whatever that means. Yeah, and I can see that because most, most restaurants and hotels are, are fairly corporate. Remember when we went to that restaurant in that hotel in Lansing? And it was like one of the most depressing places ever. Oh, yeah. Very much yeah, so, yeah. It's very corporate-y. He wants her to open bistros in all of his hotels. And Michelle says that she's going to run it by Robert. Yeah, because the bistro is so very special. Right. Later, Carla suggests that Ray is more interested in Michelle's knickers than he is in the bistro model. And she should bite his hand off to do it. Which seemed quite strange. She was right. telling her he's after something else. Right. But, but still go along with it. Right, because it's it's worth your while from a financial, from business sense to do it. Just be careful and keep him at arm's length so he doesn't try to get in your pants. I, for one, agree with Carla. Later still, Ray is meeting with Michelle, gently calling Robert a shite and making it clear that he wants in her knacks. He's putting his faith in her. He wants to be upfront and has spoken to another franchise. Let's take a look at their projections, he says. And that's mm. as far as we get with that this week. Because mm. Robert is in Stoke this week. Yeah. Hanging out with Vicky. Right. And, and Not Tyler. in Stoke. Right. Right. But doesn't have find your friends on his phone or anything like that. So that's no, how he gets and he's not answering his phone. Of course he doesn't. Or his text messages. No. You'd think he could at least answer the phone or a text message saying, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But they couldn't be bothered to pay Robert to, you know, show up this week. This week. <laughs> Our final storyline tonight is Bethany's article. I hate this. I know you do. On Wednesday, Bethany and Daniel are chatting in the bistro. She's finishing up her article and asks Daniel to look it over because he's an expert in writing and words and that. In comes Sinead with Bertie. She has a super big order of beard oil to get ready, so she needs Daniel to finish early to look after their kid. Bethany agrees to cover their shift and then Faye shows up with her CV looking for a job or whatever. Which I thought was weird. Yep. Just a random Faye sighting. Then Daniel... <laughs> right. Where have you been, Faye? Right. <laughs> All this year. Just turn up with your CV. I know it's empty because I've not been in it that much this year. But anyway, here you go. Right. Well, she showed up briefly, you know, when they were all going out for Craig's birthday, because she's like one of the young ones. Did she? Oh, I don't remember anything about Craig's birthday. And she shows up, she showed up to help Seb try to sneak a letter, a note to Alina, remember that? And she messed it up. Right. Yeah. So they, they trot her out occasionally. And Daniel gets home, but it's later than Sinead expected, so she gives him a hard time about it. Plus, you know how they're getting married? Well, it seems like it's next week. And Sinead reveals that she hasn't sorted out any of the witnesses or yet, anything like that yet, but she will give Beth a call once she's done with this stupid beard oil stuff. And later, Sinead still hasn't got the Who's witnesses sorted out. Who's she beard oil to now that David's in jail? Who knows? She doesn't see what the urgency is. They're already married, she says. But they're not. They're not, no. Daniel suggests calling it off and this makes Sinead change her mind. She'll phone Beth and get that sorted out. Meanwhile, Daniel has been getting texts from Bethany, who seems to have finished her article. Another bistro, Daniel is reading over Bethany's article. He thinks it's brilliant, it's raw, it's honest, and it, God fucking hell, Daniel, it's just... <sighs> anyway. <laughs> she has no idea how good it is, he says. 
Bethany is made up by this and seems to be looking at Daniel in a different light now. Then on Friday, Bethany and Daniel meet up outside the cabin to indulge in some low-level flirtatious bullshit conversation about their respective Uncle David's. And it turns out that Bethany's article isn't in the paper yet. Daniel offers to give the editor a nudge because he's such a great writer that he has sway with the editor of the Weather Gazette and all that, but Bethany tells him not to bother and has a wee suck at her bottom lip as she watches him walk away. Back home, Sinead isn't happy with Daniel for making a big deal about their wedding. She wrongly thinks that they're already married. Daniel has gotten flowers and booked a hotel for the night, which Sinead is angered about. She can barely take the morning off for the wedding without taking the night off as well because of all that beard oil shite. Right, and they don't have an awful lot of money, so why would they get a hotel in the same town they live in? Because it's their wedding. So? Bertie starts to cry and Sinead sends Daniel off to deal with it. Then Bethany's in Roy's role showing off to Audrey about how much she knows about the newspaper business. She gets a message from Miriam, the assistant editor, and Bethany is so nervous that she gets Audrey to read it out. Your article is shite, hen, says Miriam. And Bethany pretends that this is what she was expecting. That's not what she says. She says, thank you for submitting your article. However, it doesn't suit our needs at this time. We've written... We've written lots of those Rejections letters. exactly yeah. like that. Where what we've we meant is... we genuinely meant it. Mm, Some, I, when we I, genuinely mean that, we make it sound much more convincing than that. When we don't mean it, that's exactly what we say. Yeah, because we, we used to edit a literary journal together. That was fun. We're not doing that again, though. We have no time to do that. <laughs> no. Then back home, Sinead is still in her jammies and the house is littered with bottles of beer oil and Daniel wants to have a read of his paper and this sparks an argument where Sinead doesn't see why the wedding is so important and she accuses Daniel of only wanting it because he thinks that she's going to die. He insists that the only reason he wants to get married is to celebrate that she's going to live and it would be nice if she recognised that, that this was as important as her beard oil. And she kicks up a fuss that he's throwing back in her face the only thing that makes her feel alive. He takes a hump, suggests calling the whole thing off, and she seems to agree. And he you storms out, tomato, waking the baby. When I say tomato, you say potato. When I say potato, tomato, tomato, potato, potato. Let's call the whole thing off. That was definitely worth 20 seconds. Absolutely. <laughs> Then Daniel's at work complaining about the customers to Bethany. She reveals that her article was rejected and he's furious about this, although she's fine. So in the kitchen, Daniel calls Miriam about Bethany's article. He can't understand why it isn't getting printed. And Bethany sticks her head round the door and hears him threatening to take the story elsewhere to other newspapers in the area. Because there's so many. Bethany isn't happy. Bethany isn't happy about this. I'm so Scottish new. You are. She isn't happy about it. Oh, that's all right, hen. She does. She doesn't need him to interfere. Oh. But then she admits that she wants his She's help. Gotta go get her messages instead. Well, what do you want from me? She Pick asks. Up some moon sauce. He says he doesn't know, and then they look like they're going to smooch. And Bethany talks about the stress that Daniel's been under, and he admits to arguments with Sinead and apologises for offloading on her. She goes off, and it looks like he might have a thing for her now too. Then Beth is round at Sinead's complaining about Daniel. Beth thinks that Sinead should be able to spare a couple of hours on her wedding night and she, recomm- she recommends giving Daniel a break. Later, Daniel apologises... Break his arm! <laughs> Later, Daniel apologises for sticking up for Bethany. I've just got her. I don't know who he's sticking up for. Bethany. Bethany thinks it's mad to think that Daniel's getting married tomorrow. What? 
In comes Sinead with Bertie into the bistro, and Sinead apologises for earlier, and Daniel apologises too. Sinead is scared because the last time they got married she had cancer, but she shouldn't have been so nasty to him. Bethany looks on and seems to be uncomfortable about this, which Sinead seems to notice. Back at home, Sinead opens up about a look that Daniel and Bethany shared earlier. Daniel explains about the article and complaining about the argument that the two of them had had. It had been a long day and Bethany doesn't fancy him. And Sinead cancelled the registry office, she says, because that's what they agreed to. Daniel pretends that he's fine with that and goes off to charge his phone. Then Sinead goes into the bistro and asks to meet Bethany in the Rovers after her shift's finished. Is there a problem, asks Bethany. I've no fucking clue, says Sinead. So Sinead and Bethany meet up in the Rovers and Bethany is terrified. She doesn't want Sinead to be angry with her. Sinead explains about seeing how uh, she and Daniel looked at each other earlier. Bethany says that Sinead was too busy to be married and that made her awkward. And this satisfies Sinead who tells Bethany that life is fragile, which Bethany already knows. Sinead tells Bethany that she hasn't really cancelled the wedding, it's going to be a surprise, just like Daniel surprised her last time, so they are going to get married tomorrow Tomorrow, after all. Yes. Bethany pretends to be made up about this, but when Sinead leaves, Bethany's smile fades, and that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. Whew. So, Sinead's totally going to die, isn't she? Yeah, this is just... a. Skull and Crossbones has just been stamped on her character profile, I think. Absolutely. Uh, why Why is that so obvious? It seems so obvious now, but it, it didn't feel obvious beforehand, but now it does. Be- because everybody's constantly talking about the fact that she's not going to die. Everybody's insisting she's not going to die, that she's going to have a long, happy life, and she's not going to die. So obviously she's going to die. She's going to die. Yeah. And they're setting up this whole Bethany Daniel relationship, and you which, know, which I hate. I know you hate it, and I hate it too. And the only way it would work is if Sinead is dead, because Daniel would never leave Sinead. E- even after she's dead, I can't imagine that happening. Not right away. No, for. But then you know what? You know what's going to happen? It's going to be too hard for him to be a single dad to poor wee little Birdie. So Bethany will start offering to help, and one thing will lead to another. I don't think that's going to happen either. Isn't yeah, she is. on the way out? Bethany? Yeah. I can't remember who's on the way out I anymore. think she's on the way out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thrilled by this. I'm not thrilled with this change in direction of Sinead's character to be kind of naggy bitchy. and bitchy and unreasonable. Well, she's got a point. Daniel is ridiculous, like, I'll put out that she wants him to look after Bertie while she's trying to do her job. And she's absolutely right. Just because she works from home doesn't mean that she should have the brunt of the home jobs. That... But, he, but he's doing his job. Right, but both jobs are equally important, and she makes the point that... But not, but not to Sinead, because she says to him, you need to come home early. Right. Could you come home early? No, you need to come home early. Yeah. But still, it. she makes the point that, you know, when he's working, she doesn't just drop Bertie on him. She kind of does, because she did. Well, that's, that's but what he has to, no, he has to come home first. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm, I'm not sure, I do. Mm. Anyway, it, it seems a very 
sudden shift in she needs right, character. Right, because she's going to be dying soon. Okay, well, that's good then. <laughs> <laughs> Your moment of the week. Hero Ali saves Hope. Yeah, that was great. It was good. It was fantastic. That, that was such a good scene. It, it was, was intense. I so it. well put together. It Absolutely. was quite cinematic. Uh-huh. And I loved the fact that he was James Bond, essentially, just burst into this factory bum, to save bum, the wee bum, girl. Bum, and, and Hope... God bless her. She's come back an even better actress than she was when she left. And I and I always enjoyed her yeah. beforehand, but she's, she's a really good, good actress yeah. now. And and just, you know, the throw your dolly down and all that sort of uh-huh. stuff. Before yeah, it you, was intense. It was excellent. Dare I say, better than the factory <laughs> roof collapse. There were elements of the factory roof collapse that I that liked. I liked, I liked the tracking shots through. Yeah, the tracking shots were really good. I liked the elevated pull away at the end. Right. Going through the roof like you're mm-hmm. elevating to heaven sort of thing was, was pretty well done. But I thought pound for pound, yeah. that little five minutes there of rescuing hope from the factory was, was fantastic. But all the while, where's Ed? He's at the he's at the Caribbean restaurant. He's in the Rovers having a pint. No, he's no. not. They have no, to drive back. No, he is. He's in the Rovers. No, he is. No, he because is. he drives back over. <clears throat> he's in he the Rovers. Drive away, and then they drive. While back. all that's going on, because when uh, Ali comes in, he's there. No, no, because bef- but before that, he, Ed has to go, and he unlocks the gates. For the firefighters, he drives back from the Caribbean restaurant and unlocks. But he didn't go to the Caribbean restaurant. He does. He doesn't. He does. He doesn't. And he still has to go to the builder's yard to pick up supplies. He and Michael drive away. That's all done. They drive away and then they get the phone call that they have to come back. And he drives back, he parks the car, he jumps out of the truck and he unlocks the gate. And then he goes to the rovers afterwards. What show were you watching this week? No, I don't think any of what you described happened. Absolutely <clears throat> everything that I just described just happened. And you'll know about it next week at Hindsight Quarter. Well, no, because I won't look into it. So, no. Because I don't care. <laughs> so that's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Bull Durham. Craig's birthday. Is Craig's birthday more boring than Tim's fucking dad talking about how great Bull Durham is? Bull Durham? Bull Durham. The fuck is that? The boxing movie with... Raging Bull? Raging Bull. Why did I say Bull Durham? Oh, because you've been wrong so often that you just continue to be wrong here. Bull Durham is also a movie. It's not about boxing, though. No. It's Kevin Costner. Yeah, that's baseball. And it's baseball. It's still a sports movie. (laughs) Okay, Raging Bull. Raging Bull was my boring moment of the week. Uh, I don't know because Craig's birthday has two scenes in this that don't add up to anything at all. Yeah, but they're kind of funny. Are they? Yeah, and like you said, aren't imitating life. So that's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. It is now nearly ten o'clock. Do you want to wrap this? Yes, up? please. You need to go to bed. Uh, You're sleepy. I'm sleepy. You have a stuffy nose. I'm not feeling very, very well tonight. My poor darling. He's so stuffed. But I'm, up, I'm probably just going to work on this anyway. 
So, if you want to get in contact with us, then here's how you can do so. Our email address is thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. That's also our Skype address if you want to send us a voicemail. And that's also our uh, PayPal address if you want to leave a tip in our virtual tip Please jar. help us buy more Claritin so Gav <laughs> can be well. Just five bucks. That'll do it. We're also at uh, Cory Podcast on the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram. And we have a blog, which is thetalkofthestreetpodcast.wordpress.com. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. We Thank will be you. back next week with more Talk Bye. of the Street. Bye-bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.